Uh, let's pray. O oh, our most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this day and ask for you to open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, and open our ears that we may hear from your precious word and that you would speak to us, Lord. Oh, help me to say what you would have me to say. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So today we are going to be looking at Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1 and verse 46. Even all they that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,550. Chapters 1 through 3 and 26 of Numbers cover the census of the Israelites a little more than a year after miraculously being led out of Egypt in the Exodus. Now, personally, I've always had a difficult time understanding exactly why these chapters are included in the Bible. And in fact, to my shame, I've always read through them as quickly as I could to move on to other more interesting chapters. In my heart, I knew that they were important. I would remind myself that Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. And in his temptation, Jesus is recorded in Luke 4, 4, telling Satan, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. But early this week, when reading chapters 1 and 2, I felt the Spirit impressing upon me to slowly read through these verses and to pray for help in understanding their value. In doing so, I uncovered some nuggets that I want to share today. So, firstly, the importance of the census. Um, It shows that we serve a God of order. We look around and we often see chaos, but God is ordering a perfect plan. He does what he does precisely and exactly according to his will and his good pleasure. Genesis details God's six days of creation being brought about with a methodical preciseness, with a divine order. Genesis 131 closes out that uh, description of those days of creation when he said, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God specifically ordered the building of the tabernacle. In fact, we have seven chapters, Exodus 25 to 31, describing all of the small details for the construction, the furniture, the utensils, and the priest's garments. And then we have another six chapters in Exodus 35 to 40, describing the fulfillment of creating it all. You can page through the scriptures and you will see example after example of God's order and God's perfect order. Secondly, um, I want to look at God's care as revealed in that census. So I see these census numbers. And in them, evidence that there is not a soul he does not know intimately. In our verse, we read of 603,550 that were numbered. And if you turn over to chapter 2 and look at verse 32, it reads this way. These are those which were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers. All those that were numbered of the camps throughout their hosts were 600,000 and 3,550. It is the exact same number written again, 603,550. And here's my not-so-very-deep biblical numerology around this. One, 
That's a big number. Two, it's important because God said it twice. And three, God cares about every one of those that's represented by that number, or else he wouldn't have bothered to give it to us. We can feel very small in this world of ours. Each of us is one of over 7.8 billion people worldwide. But how comforting is it that Jesus tells us in Matthew 10.30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And finally, where I want to spend the rest of our time is looking at another aspect of this number that's presented to us in the census. And it's God's faith revealed to us there. Turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 47 and look at verse 27. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. On the heels of a famine that had affected not only Egypt, but as it is stated in chapter 41, verse 57, it was a worldwide famine. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Think about this. If there had been no one to interpret Pharaoh's strange dreams, there would have been no knowledge of an impending famine. If there was no knowledge of the impending famine, there would have been no felt need to institute a program of stockpiling during the years of plenty. If there was no program of stockpiling, Israel would have perished due to the famine and there would have been no census to record in the book of Numbers. So why was Joseph in Egypt ready and able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams? Well, God, of course, had a purpose and a plan, and he gave Joseph a strong and unwavering faith. We see in Joseph an obedience to God in even the most difficult of circumstances. After he was sold by his brothers to the Midianites, he was then sold into Egypt under Potiphar. He must have been fairly well behaved. He must have been trusting God, and he must have had a tremendous faith showing forth because this, even after being sold into slavery, if he had been belligerent, I find it pretty doubtful that Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and a captain of the guard, would have taken the risk of bringing such a one into his house. After being made overseer in Potiphar's house and over all that he had, Joseph could have accepted his master's wife's advances on him and did as she was pressuring him to do. I can imagine it would have been fairly easy under those circumstances to think that God had forsaken him and that he might as well follow after his flesh. But we read in 39.9, the last statement in his refusal is this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph, as you know, was falsely accused of forcing himself upon Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. But even in the dark depths of the prison's dungeon, Joseph's faith was strong. He was working as unto the Lord, even in those squalid conditions. We read, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. If Joseph had lost his faith in God at this point, I can imagine him not caring one whit about the chief butler's dream, much less taking the time to interpret it. And without that interpretation, Pharaoh would never have known of a captive in his prison that had the ability to interpret his dreams. 
And without that interpretation, no preparation would have been made for the famine. And ultimately, we would not read of those 600,000 plus in the census in numbers. Oh, I could continue this thread with many, many examples of the faith of God preserving his people through the 225 years between Jacob and his family entering Egypt and the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. It would be one instance after another of seeing God's omnipotent hand upon his people and their faith in his power to preserve in what were some very dark times. How is it with us today? How is your faith? To be honest, mine feels pretty weak. We're living in a spiritual famine that makes us prone to become discouraged. We can often feel as if God has forsaken us, and we see wickedness apparently triumphing. But our purpose as blood-bought children of God is to glorify him in all that we do and not to bemoan our circumstances. Worry and doubt is a twin brother to outright unbelief. Murmuring and complaining says to God and to the world watching us that we don't really trust the one to whom we pledge our allegiance. A weak faith does nothing to glorify God. And a partial obedience blasphemes his holy name. God placed every one of us here in this time and in this place to satisfy his own purposes. Oh, let us rejoice with exceeding great joy that he is our God and he saw fit to redeem us through the blood of his son. We are praying for revival in every sphere. We long to see God's name glorified. We need a revival of our faith. We need a feeling of his Holy Spirit. We need to see and play the long game. With Joseph, he could not have known in the pit, in slavery and in the dungeon, what his faith and obedience would yield. As it was with him, so it is with us. We cannot possibly know what our faith and obedience today will yield for God in the distant future. C.H. Spurgeon had this to say, I believe that a man of God, under trial and difficulty and affliction, bearing up and patiently submitting with holy acquiescence and still rejoicing in God, is a real preacher of the gospel, preaching with an eloquence which is mightier than words can ever be and which will find its secret and silent way into the hearts of those who might have resisted other arguments. Oh, do then listen to the text, for it is a command from God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4 4. May we be like that father of the demon-possessed child recorded in the book of Mark, crying out to Jesus with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Amen.